Hey y'all, welcome back to a Saturday, May 14th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Jam-packed show for you guys today. Um, very excited to dive into uh, this podcast with you guys today. Um, we got Go Big Orange Friday uh, with Ethan Stone and Ryan Shumpert to talk all things Tennessee basketball, baseball, and football. That's not all, though. No, we uh, we also dove into some Iowa Hawkeyes. So the Iowa Hawkeyes who just uh, wrapped up spring ball, uh, a really weird year last year um, for the Iowa Hawkeyes because they were a team that um, should like they just they were good last year, obviously, um, with uh, their defense and their takeaways and just being, I think, number two in the country at one point, and you're like, oh, are they just Georgia of the North? And uh, things obviously did not end that way. A lot of folks remember the Michigan Big Ten title game, but uh, just trying to get a good feel of where Iowa is going into this year and uh, losing what they lost on both sides of the ball and how they're going to bounce back, why they don't really dip, their guys don't dip into the portal, the culture at Iowa, um, their biggest strengths going into next year, where Spencer Petras is in the pecking order and what the quarterback situation looks like there, why uh, offense at Iowa is different um, and how it relates to their defense and all that and more with uh, Tom Kakert of uh, the Iowa rival site, which was just a lot of fun and he does a great job and they do a great job over there at Hawkeye Report. So check that out. Keep up with them if you have not already done so. Also having a sneaky good uh, baseball season. So all that and more coming up on this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Don't forget, folks, you can watch this very program on YouTube, youtube.com. Type in the Chase Thomas Podcast. You'll find us right there. Uh, all of our episodes, all that good stuff, Chase Thomas Podcast on YouTube. Um, so if you prefer to watch and then listen, guess what? We got you covered. Uh, don't forget, folks, you can also leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if that is how you're listening to today's show. And if that is, please make sure you pause and leave this show a five-star rating and review. It helps other people find the show and it helps this show continue to grow. Apologies on this coming out a little bit later on Saturday than usual. Uh, kind of a busy, busy uh, uh, night and uh, start to my day. So final still trying to wrap up here at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. So I'm kind of swamped still for the next couple days and we're going to see how the schedule all unfolds. Might go to Tennessee, Georgia. This afternoon as we wrapped up, already won the series uh after last night but you know good stuff and then the raccoon and our i think arkansas game was incredible uh, if you haven't already go on to twitter.com and check that out uh fan barehanding a raccoon and escorting him out the building so the guardians of the galaxy sequel or i guess trilogy looks pretty good so far so um all that and more uh, coming up on today's show. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Saturday edition here on the Chase Moms Podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Um, all right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back. Go Big Orange Friday on a Friday afternoon. We're actually taping this on a Friday afternoon, uh, which works because guess what? It is Go Big Orange Friday. Ethan Stone of the UTK Daily Beacon until what? What? How much longer can I introduce you in that fashion, Ethan? Technically, you can't anymore. I think Ooh. Tuesday was my last day, but I'm gonna Ooh. I'm gonna consider myself uh, as such until graduation, which is next Saturday. 
So there you go. Um, I saw Ethan on campus earlier this week, and I didn't know what to do because Ethan make made eye contact with me, and he made a weird face at me. And I was driving away, and I was like, I don't know if I should stop. I've already been moving for a little bit too long. And then I, he was with his family clearly, and I was like, I don't really want to get out and like do the whole like explain like, oh, I, he's on my podcast, and like I know he, and then do that whole song and dance with his family. So I was like, I'm just gonna keep moving, <laughs> and I also don't know if he 100% saw me. It was an amazing just uh, uh, a lot of decisions and thoughts went in like a seven second period, and then Ethan slid in my DMs like that was that you? And I was like, yeah, that was absolutely me. Yeah. You could you could tell both of our collective minds mm-hmm. were really going overdrive because like i saw you but you were like you were driving on circle park so i was like mm. i'm like i'm like 80 percent sure that's chase <laughs> but i didn't i didn't know for sure so i was like you know because i don't want to wave it's yeah just some random dude but no yeah. it, it worked out it was me i should have messed with yeah. you and been like i i'm, I'm in atlanta this <laughs> week yeah <laughs> also here ryan shumpert of the rocky top insider ryan good afternoon sir how are you Doing well. Glad I didn't. I wasn't involved in that interaction this week because those are the social interactions that just eat away in my head. So yeah. uh, uh, I'm glad I got to uh, avoid the, the awkward car with the family mm-hmm. hesitance. I actually had when I went to the Nashville uh, SC game on Wednesday, and I had mm-hmm. a, a somewhat similar interaction there. So didn't completely avoid it for the week, but at least I didn't double dip like uh, like you guys. It, uh, it was funny because I also, this week, it's just been, because I've had to be on campus a bunch this week with finals and uh, wrapping up stuff. That's where I'm heading uh, back after this. So I haven't even been able to watch as much as I, would, I need to watch. And I don't know. Well, I might try and go to the Georgia game tonight. But um, it's uh, <laughs> we were in the elevator in Hodges, and it was like three people in it. And I was the only person who could see this other kid like kind of hustling towards the elevator. And I was like, we're kind of full. So I just like stared at him. We made eye contact as the door closed and he was expecting me to hit the hold the door open button. And I just kind of made eye contact and was like, that's not happening, man. This is this is a full elevator and you're not uh, getting that close to my proximity. I need you to sit. And, and it was just the sadness when he saw that, like it was like this close. And then I just saw him like, oh, brutal. But I uh yeah, can't do it, man. Can't do it. I don't like packed elevators. It's just, uh, it's awkward. Um, I don't know. But it is interesting. Like, people really, like, immediately, they get so uncomfortable in elevators, I've noticed, is, like, especially girls. They come in, and then they're, like, immediately phone. And they're, like, like, just extremely, extremely fast. And nobody, like, elevators, for whatever reason, are just not uh, not a fun thing. But uh, that that concludes story time on, uh, on, on campus this week, I think. I don't think there was any other crazy thing I did. Um, no, I think that was about it. Uh, well, we're going to start off with some big UT basketball news that Julian Phillips, five-star kid, uh, he commits to the university of Tennessee Barnes gets a five-star once again, his six, five-star, uh, since being, uh, the university of Tennessee basketball coach, there was a lot of questions we talked about on this podcast of like where, uh, things were going, uh, this off season and the they were losing a lot, and we still don't know for sure with Josiah Jordan-James. Uh, his name's still in the NBA draft. Um, he could still technically go, but people just assume that he's going to just dip his toes in and come back for one more year. But we don't know until he does it. But by and large, this is uh, another big get for Barnes and people who are concerned. Like, oh, NIL, how does this change Rick Barnes? Is How much is he going to be in on NIL? And uh, how comfortable is he with this? He's 67. Is he up for this? And 
it's like <laughs> I think at this point I I'm good with what Barnes is doing and he's gonna get the guys he's gonna fill up this roster um, he's gonna get a couple more guys like he's recruiting's gonna be fine we're not gonna fall off a cliff there and um, there's just a, an understanding now where it's like Keon goes first round Springer goes first round Kennedy Chandler goes is probably gonna go first round that if you go to Tennessee now and play for Rick Barnes, I mean, you can go back to Durant, which I think Phillips is like one of his guys is like, he loves Kevin Durant. So I'm sure there was some, some crossover there, but um, you're in good hands. And if you spend a year with, if you're Phillips and you develop and you, you play hard and you play uh, with this defense first identity and you play on the team that should be in the top three in defensive Kim Palm uh, and be right there in the thick of things in the SEC, then you'll probably go in the first round. And that's a good selling point. It's like, you know, you'll be taken care of and you'll be good at, at UT under Barnes. But uh, Ethan, what do you, what do you make of the Phillips sign? Were you surprised? And do you uh, think that it was, it's the right fit for what Tennessee needed? I think it's a great fit. Um, mm. I'm not necessarily surprised. I thought it was going to be between Tennessee and Auburn myself. Mm. Um, G league. I know they offered him like, I think I saw like $800,000 or something like that, which is insane. But it kind of talks about what you were talking about, just NIL and, and the fact that obviously Barnes and Tennessee and whoever you want to say as far as the interest groups go are, are able to kind of fork over the cash because obviously that is, is a major factor here. But, I mean, you know, Phillips, LSU guy, was going to go to LSU before the mass exodus there, before everyone leaves after Will Wade gets fired. 6'8", he's, he plays like a wing. Um, he's just tall. I, I saw someone give him an NBA comp towards McAlbert Bridges. I think is kind of fair, um, but he's just, he's really got everything. If you watch him, he's, I mean, on lobs, he's driving to the basket. He finishes like he's six foot two, not six foot eight. Um, and obviously the height difference will give him a bit of an advantage there, but it's going to be a solid player. I think he'll fit kind of what Josiah does, maybe not as well defensively, obviously Josiah being more of a veteran, um, veteran presence there. I think it'll be interesting to see how, um, I guess, he's put the starting lineup or rotational to start out. I, I would say he'd be a starter immediately. I mean, he's definitely got the talent for it. Um, it kind of depends on his design. It's not like they come back, which I expect them to. But I, I think he's going to bring a lot to the table for what Barnes is going to do, especially considering, and as Ryan pointed out, I saw on Twitter, Tennessee does so well small ball and his ability to be able to like stretch the floor offensively, I feel like, because he can shoot the three well. Like, mm. As, as well as a six eight six foot eight guy could shoot it, so I think it's going to be very interesting watching watching Tennessee move forward with this kind of lineup. Just the amount they can play around with it. I think so too. I think so too. Ryan, what do you what do you think? Yeah, well, for one, uh, credit to Phillips and his camp. I mean, when's the last time you remember a five star committing in the morning that he was committing? Like no one seemed to know where he was going. It, mm. it, was, it was pretty cool. Like it felt like an old fashioned recruitment in, in that in that way and. No, I think Ethan hit, hit the nail on the head on a lot of it. You know, I think maybe if you're looking exactly what Tennessee needed, you'd say, hey, go get a low post score. That's what they didn't have last year, and, and Phillips isn't that. But at the same time, there's – maybe I'm missing someone, but I don't think there's a low post scorer out there in the transfer portal or the preference that's as effective as a player is Julian Phillips. And why, while he may not bring – uh, the interior scoring that is more of a, a permanent need for Tennessee. And this is kind of what Ethan was getting at with my tweet. I think it opens up all sorts of really fascinating lineups and possibilities for Tennessee to stretch defenses next year, because Tennessee's best offensive lineup was without a shadow of a doubt was that Josiah before lineup last year. 
And the thing was, he was going to play some at three. He couldn't be on the court at all times. He was going to be at foul trouble. And they really didn't have another person they could put in that slot. They, mm. Jemai Meshack, they had him play there a little bit on the four, but he still wasn't an offensive threat. So it really didn't space the floor any different than having a second big man on the court. Now with Phillips, you have two guys that can guard four men and then at the same time stretch the floor offensively. I think Phillips, a lot of it's going to be, he's a freshman. How does he come in and adapt to the defense first mindset that you have to, if you're going to play a lot in this program, you have to have. But if Rick Barnes can get him to buy into that, I think really the sky is the limit for what he can do at Tennessee next year and really what uh, the sort of lineups Tennessee can do to attack teams or attack defenses, I think, really open up and, and could be really, really interesting. Yeah, there was just not a there was not another big you were going to replace BHH with in the portal or anything else. It was just kind of like now you're going to lean more on wing depth. I think there's going to be more switchability uh, with Tennessee. There's going to be more length, and it slides J- JJJ to the four. I think permanently. I'm cu- I'm curious what this means for Kumwa and if he's a starter on next year's team or what you do there because it like Euros came on late. Is it I do you need to because it? I mean that would probably be my preference is I do it the like you could go super big here. You could go um, you could even have Vescovy at the one. You could go uh, Vescovy, um, Phillips, Kumwa, JJJ, and uh, I do. You could go. There's a lot of different things that Barnes can do, and as if, as we learned this past year. He's gonna mix and match, and he's gonna he's not gonna be afraid to switch up the rotations and figure stuff out. But uh, with Victor Bailey, Justin Powell both being gone, there was they, this is like the kind of wing depth where it's like, oh, it's more of a proven commodity on the wing that Barnes doesn't have to just like throw. Oh, like the fan base doesn't have to go. Okay, we have to find somebody on the wing who can create their own shots. Somebody on the wing who can do something kind of like what Kiam was able to do two years ago when he was healthy. Is like. We have not. We did not have that last year. It was a lot of reliance on the guards. It was a lot of reliance on the driving kick and finding open shooters. And uh, it was just. It was. It was clunky at times. And I think the offense uh, will be a little bit more opened up here because I don't think we'll be as big heavy as we were a year ago. But I am curious. Does this mean Sakai is uh, going to start at the one? Like, is that going to be his time now, or does Barnes want to keep him in the in the six man role that he excelled in? So. I don't know. I think it, it's another piece that uh, that's a good sign for Tennessee, that high upside guy. I think he'll, at the very least, be a strong defender, and Tennessee's defense is just going to be another pain in the butt next year. But I, uh, I'm i excited. Like I wonder if Yuri Collins comes and you still get Tyreek Key, then you're like, this roster is complete. We're good. Like I don't think anyone has any concerns that Tennessee should be the at least – you can't say favorite just because of how stacked the SEC is now, and you can make the case that the SEC is the best basketball conference in college basketball now. Um, that I I don't know. I'm, I'm with Arkansas, with Alabama, with Kentucky, uh, with Auburn a little bit, but like there's going to be a lot of good teams that they're going to have to challenge at the top of this conference next year. But by and large, I think it's going to be it's going to be another great team, and Phillips is kind of like a a last like big big thing i don't think there's another big name on the horizon i, I know listen to the fall quest guys they expect um a, another european name to just pop up out of nowhere i think rob lewis talks about it. he's like just there's he's gonna come i don't know who it is he's gonna pop up on the radar and it's gonna be like a euros and a santi and you're like okay i guess he's just gonna be a great player for tennessee uh for three years that we did not know existed um that that's somebody to watch out for but I'm curious, like, who do you think is the lead ball handler next year, uh, Ryan? Who do you think is the starter at the one? Yeah, it has to be Zakai. I don't see okay. any other option with Yuri Collins back, going back to St. Mm. Louis, not transferring. I mean, I think that would have been the other option. I think that's kind of 
Uh, I thought it was interesting you mentioned him because when Tennessee got Phillips yesterday, I think that's kind of the one his his versatility. I think releases a lot of the the worry about the depth of the big men mm-hmm. and losing BHH. I think that's a much smaller concern now. And so that is to me the one other roster concern is I see one ball handling guard that you trust in Zakai. I don't see a second one. Mm-hmm. And Collins would have be, would have been that guy. So I think that is a tough loss. Who ends up being it? I think that's a that's a really big question right now because obviously you're going after Tyrese Hunter. That one is a very crowded crowded recruitment, far from a locker. Even Tennessee being the favorite necessarily, and I think you may end up with a lot of pressure on B.J. Edwards because while Vescovy is capable of handling the ball, just look at the jump he made last year, and it wasn't all because he was playing off ball. But I think that was a a big part of it, and the strength of his, of his game, I think. Besides just the straight up shooting, which just goes with the shooting, is how well he mo- he moves off the ball, and he's mm-hmm. not doing that when he's running the point. So, while that's an emergency option, something you can go to at all costs, that's not what I would want to be doing if I was Tennessee. And right now, the only other guy on that on the roster uh, really is the guy, and B.J. Edwards kind of being a, a question mark, and how much maybe Tyreek Key kind of feels like that would be similar to Sakai, can or excuse me, similar to Vescovy, where he can play someone if needed, but not a true point guard. So. When I'm looking at where they have three roster spots still left to fill, to me, that's the only thing that they, they really need is a, a, to add another ball handler. And besides that, and I guess this is me rambling a little bit now, when Tennessee was missing on some of these guys, uh, I wasn't necessarily, I think, hitting the panic button as much as, as other people because really Tennessee, is, the core of its roster is back. And while they have whatever it was, five at, at the most spots to fill, there's, they don't have a whole lot of starting spots to sell. They really had one, and that was probably big in getting Julian Phillips. There was what you felt really confident about four guys you were going to have in the starting lineup, and it's hard to go get really good guys, and especially in the NIL and especially in the transfer portal era if you're not having big-time minutes and then maybe some, some added incentives in there to get them. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, let's pivot to uh, to the baseball team. So Tennessee baseball, uh, they win last night against Georgia. They get the black uniforms out on Tuesday, and there were some real sickos covering that game I saw on Tuesday night. Couldn't be me. Could not be me. Um, but uh, this is it. The homestand uh, wraps up here. Mississippi State on the road next weekend, which before the year we were like, oh, what a great way to end the year is uh, the defending champs uh, in the College World Series. And, they're not even making the NCAA tournament. They're out. Like this has just been a really, really rough year in Starkville, uh, following their uh, their magical run last year. But uh, what are you what are you looking for out of this Georgia series? And what did you already learn from from last night's game? Well, I think for one, it was just interesting to see the pitching. We knew they were mixing it up, going with Dol- Chase Dolander to open the series, and then Blade Tidwell staying in the game two. Chase mm-hmm. Burns came out of the bullpen, so that answers the question. Uh, of who's going to start on Saturday this week in, in game three. And that I think is still the biggest question is they're, they're getting into range where there's some of these weekends you're going to need four starters, SEC tournament being one of them, a regional potentially being another one, but still super regional. You're still going to have one order is extremely important. Who's going to pitch in those big games. So I think figuring out exactly uh, who they like in what role. And Vitello said as much after the game Thursday night that they want, all those guys to at least come out of the bullpen once, all those four starters, because that gives them experience they need. And to me, I thought it was interesting that, and they may flip it up next weekend at Mississippi State, but I thought it was a little interesting that Beam is getting the start uh, on Saturday and not Burns. I thought really uh, Beam is more of a natural fit to me coming out of the bullpen with just his ability to throw strikes. He's just such a natural strike thrower in both Tidwell and 
Burns when they have struggled, it's been a lot of times a command issue. So I think that's really interesting to watch the offense. The, the, the warm weather is here in Knoxville, and ball, home run balls are getting out quickly at Lindsey Nelson. So I think that will be interesting to follow and maybe even uh, on a different note, how does Tennessee, especially these next two weekends on the road and then Hoover in a bigger ballpark, how does Tennessee manufacture runs when it's, when it's not the home run ball? Part of me wants to kind of lose. I kind of want to lose in the tournament. I don't want to be number one. Like that whole stat about the number one overall seed and the, number, the best team in college baseball winning the tournament and winning uh, in, in Omaha. It's just, what is it, 20 plus years that, that has not happened? Yeah. Um, that's just, it's kind of scary. But I don't know. Ethan, what do you what do you make of last night's game and uh, the state of the, the pitching rotation at the moment? I, I didn't watch too much of last night's game, but I kind of want to go off what you were saying about being number one. I've noticed the bits I have watched that, that Tennessee is just not hitting as well as they were in the beginning of the season. That's a tall ask, obviously. Mm. But, um, you know, going into Mississippi State this weekend, I, I remember I said I thought Mississippi State would be the one that maybe because it's on the road might give the balls from trouble. Obviously, Kentucky seemed to have filled that role. Mm. They, they kind of, I mean, if Kentucky's beating you, there's, there's – there's a little bit of a problem because, I mean, I get it's just one series and the weather wasn't great at the time, but I feel like this is not the time for Tennessee's bats to be slightly tapering out. And like Ryan said, um, you know, if they're relying on, on the long ball too much or, or having problems getting, getting the ball in the infield and stuff like that, I, I, combined with, with your number one, uh, what you said there about that, I feel like it's just, it's asking for trouble going mm. going into a Hoover. Um as far as the rest of this weekend, I, I don't think Tennessee will have too much trouble with Georgia. Not really, especially at home with the magic number being two and uh, ability to win the SEC tonight if uh, I think Vanderbilt beats Arkansas. So I, I think they'll go pumped up into that. I'm just a little worried that they'll get to Mississippi State and they'll just be like, yeah, we've we've already done it. You know, um, that, That's one thing I feel like this team really needs to prove is like they're not going to get ahead of themselves. Like they got to you know, see the target in front of them and actually go towards it and, I guess finish, you know, because that's obviously what's most important going into Omaha to a series like that. Yeah, well, we'll see. We still got a lot of baseball to be played, and uh, I'm hey, enjoy it. Like this season will never happen again. Like this is a once in a lifetime type situation for Tennessee baseball. But um, and that's not to say like the program's not in good shape. It's just this kind of collection of talent and this kind of roster and everything going this way is just uh, a rarity. Um, let's end on Tennessee football. So Brew McCoy officially in the building. We know that now Jalen Robinson's making his announcement over the weekend. Uh, so we'll see what happens there, but seems like that's pretty positive and pretty likely that he's going to end up on Rocky top, uh, especially with this background at UCF and hype and the difference between, uh, playing with Gus Malzahn this past year and what happened with that offense after Dylan Gabriel went down versus what he'll be able to do with Hendon and company. Um, probably be able to play right away, uh, with this Tennessee team this fall. Uh, it's kind of funny. We were talking about it in the podcast. If, uh, I'm not sure if it was a week or two weeks ago, but uh, like, oh, who who do we think between Robinson and Brew? And now it's like, well, they're just going to get both. And you know, there's a lot of young talent to like in Knoxville right now with Webb, with Miller, with Squirrel, with uh, just up and down the list. And we'll see what happens with um, Carnell Tate, who still has not uh, declared, and we don't know when that's coming. But uh, like. The receiver room's in good shape, and then our old friend, Ramel Keaton. But, uh, you know, this is something that I think is actually will put a lot more Tennessee fans at ease because if you talk to any Tennessee fan here in Knoxville, 
uh, about Tennessee football and just the depth chart, they'll be like, oh, I don't know about Jalen Hyatt. Like, there's a, there's a lot of people who will never be totally sold on Jalen Hyatt being a consistent slot guy and someone you rely on for, for 12 games. Like, the talent's there and the talent's always been there. But you just kind of feel better if you had the alternatives. And one of the things that was interesting last year was this that Javante Payton was kind of... He was, he was a big part of this team um, early on. And he had, obviously, a great game against Bama. And he had... He had a lot of great games, great game against Kentucky, and um, he was good. But I think Robinson can be used in that same way. But now they have more depth on the outside, where now it's not just Cedric Tillman as your only get-up-and-grab-the-ball grab, uh, grab the type guy. Now you have Brew on one side, theoretically, in his size. You have Cedric on the other, and now you have a lot more options. And if Jalen's just a slot guy, uh, the two Jalens, I guess, is what we're going to call them, Double J, uh, if they're both in the building. But you just feel good. Like it just feels like there's more depth and it's, it, it all makes sense. Like the wide receiver room just looks complete and looks like something that hype will really, really wants. Right. I think so. And I think I said it that, that day that in a lot of ways, Jalen Robinson made more sense, but more mm-hmm. than anything, Tennessee needed an outside guy and, and Brew McCoy is that. And, and the old, I feel like they said it a ton about the Butch Jones receivers, uh, analysts would, the, the power forwards uh, receiver. Mm-hmm. Now Tennessee's got two of them with Cedric Tillman and Brew McCoy. I mean, physically, those guys are, are as good as it gets. And I think you're right. It's just still better. Oh, there's promise with those young guys. But it's just like uh, we were talking about in the basketball se- section with B.J. Edwards. There's promise there, but you'd feel a lot better to have more options and have competition mm-hmm. in those spots. And that's what McCoy gives you, and that's what Robinson would give you if he does decide to come to Tennessee. And, and that certainly – takes a little bit of the pressure off of those four freshman receivers. And I think the pressure is still on Jalen Hyatt either way, but maybe a little less pressure on the Jimmy Holiday, the Jimmy Callaway, those other junior receivers who have played some, uh, have shown potential. Uh, Callaway, probably more than Holiday, but at the same time, haven't gone out there and shown it consistently. It's just good to have extra bodies. What do you think, Ethan? Yeah, I think, you know, Jalen Robinson's a hypothetical. Um, that would be great if you, I mean, in my opinion, I would say Robinson is is still the, the better prospect between him and McCoy because, as I've mm. said before, I'm just not 100% sure if McCoy is even going to get to the field. I mean, we we got to remember this guy's played in a year and a half. You know, it, it's – and he's going to be going in, in Eiple's up-tempo offense. You know, I mean, this is this is going from not playing to you are running at all times all over mm. the field. And like Ryan said, he's got the talent, obviously. I just – I, I want to see him get there personally. Um Getting to Jalen Robinson, I feel like if he gets here, especially knowing Heupel, um, I, I say he's the wide receiver too immediately, right behind Tillman. And then regardless, like you said, Chase, I, th- I think Jalen Hyatt, the pressure is going to be on him because he's been for a year now the guy that people are like, hey, you need to step up. You need to be our wide receiver too last year. And it was obviously Peyton as, as the wide receiver too. At least I'd say producing more than he did. So I feel like Hyatt – you know, needs to take that next step, regardless of whether Jalen Robinson and Brew McCoy get playing time over him. And I, I mean, I think he can do that. And like Ryan was saying with Jimmy Call, Jimmy Callaway and Jimmy Holiday, really, you just got a lot of dudes that can really produce. And and I, I feel like kind of a plug-in thing with with Heupel's, with Heupel's offense. I feel like it'll work fine. I, I'm not by any means. I'm not really scared for the future of the the um, wide receiver room, but it could get really, really, really good if Jalen Robinson and Brew McCoy make the field. Um, it's coming, it's coming to you. Yeah, and I just – one of these young guys is going to pop and take away some time, and that's the whole thing. Was what Ryan's saying is that, like, you want the competition because one of these dudes is going to pop as a freshman and be like, oh, 
we're going to hear the reports of like, hey, he's turning heads. Like this dude's going to get a better role because he's doing X, Y, and Z, and he's going to see his way on the field, and he's going to be this. Um, I I just think it it's a good thing to be. It's a good problem to have. It's just too many receivers, and um, I think it'll be fine. It's also just nice to see because Cody Burns leaving when he did, you were like, uh oh, is this a problem? Because he takes a New Orleans Saints wide receiver coach job, and there's just uncertainty. Like Kelsey Pope by all accounts you promote from within and there's the continuity there but you still don't know if they're if it's going to keep up but since he's been installed as the new receiver coach tennessee hasn't missed a beat like you still bring in brew you still might bring in jalen robinson like i think they're just going to be humming uh on all cylinders with or without uh those guys so i i'm excited about that i am concerned though with i think there's two areas that i don't know if they're gonna be able to uh fix in the portal and that's the tackle spot and that is the corner spot. Like Tennessee really, I would feel a lot better because um, I think the pass rush spot is kind of kind of wrapped up. I don't know what they're going to do there. I think they're just kind of like, uh, we got our guys for the for the time being, but we'll see maybe adding another defensive tackle. Maybe somebody else comes in there if they're not completely sold on Terry and company, but Elijah Simmons and I don't know. We'll see um, what happens to the defensive tackle spot. But ultimately, linebackers are set. Safeties are set with Jalen and... Uh, Trey, but corner is a question mark, and I don't know who's going to step up there. But Ryan, are you more concerned heading into this summer at the corner spot for Tennessee's depth or the tackle spot? Man, that's a good question. But because both you mm-hmm. hit the nail on the head about, and to me, really, the question is the whole secondary. While it's not, you had the guys back at safety; mm. those guys didn't play well last year. So, how where's the where's the performance? Is it going to be those guys, Trayvon? Flowers, you to use your phrase earlier, turned a lot of heads in the spring. Mm. All the coaches were very, very uh, high praise for him. But at the same time, those guys were not effective last year. So mm. as a whole, in a secondary that was not great, you lost. The, you had two guys that played really well in a secondary that was still was mediocre at best, and you lose those two guys. So just tons of questions at the secondary spot. And while they brought in a handful of guys, I think the Ohio State transfer, Andre Turrentine, I like him a lot, but again, he seems more like a safety and not necessarily a plug-and-play corner. So I guess I would lean there just because you need more bodies. At the end of the day, you feel good about four of your offensive line starters, and it's just replacing Cade Mays, who's going to start at that tackle spot. And you hope that they can scheme around it some. I mean, look, Cade Mays missed whatever it was, three or four games last year. It wasn't like they never played with him uh, not on the field, and while the offensive line was certainly worse, uh, they still had good offensive performances. I mean, he didn't play in that Kentucky game. The offense was humming. So uh, it's probably, I just think probably maybe the tiebreaker there is just the overall confidence in the offense and the overall confidence in Heupel to scheme around it. Uh, maybe some issues at tackle. But at the same time, if you're looking at Tennessee making some sort of real huge jump to 10-2, and two, playing in the Sugar Bowl, Peach Bowl, name whatever, New Year's Six Bowl, Tennessee's going to need to be a lot better on the offensive line. And I think, that goes kind of for the same way I said with the safeties. I think those interior offensive line, the offensive line is a whole last year was good. But how many times did Tennessee line up on third and one, fourth and one, and run it up the middle and not get it? I mean, we criticized Typo for his lack of creativity in those moments, but at the same time, there's going to be plays if you're going to reach those goals in a season where you have to line up and be able to help physical people. And Tennessee's offensive linemen who were back and who were pretty good last year weren't able to do that most of the time last year. So you wonder uh, what overall uh, the offensive line, how much those other four guys can improve and maybe help out that offensive tackle spot as well. Yeah. What do you think, Ethan? 
I'd agree with Ryan that it's a tough question, but I'd go corner, I think, after thinking about it. It's kind of an opposite problem that the wide receiver room has because wide receiver, you have a lot of talent. And mm-hmm. corners, there's a lot of guys. I, I'd, I'd argue there's a lot of guys. <laughs> there's not a lot of guys that can that can contribute. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got Chris and Charles, you got Deshaun Rucker, you got Kamal Hayden, you got Brandon Turnage, but none of, them, none of those guys are proven. Not really. I, I'd say Turnage gives you the best bet of that room but he's more of a star nickel Mm -hmm. um and you know it's just there's a lot of playing around i feel for tim banks to do this season um i personally like christian charles a lot i didn't even mention Danico slaughter by the way but i Mm -hmm. like christian charles a lot i think he has same the i I think he has the possibility to really take a big step up this season um Mm -hmm. they've been raving about him in spring practice i know that and you know he he kind of gets injured in the middle of last year and kind of falls off a cliff a little bit at the end, but he was really playing well against Pitt, had that pump block against them. And then, you know, just during the early, I get, I get it's against not great teams against Tennessee tech and stuff like that. But I think he showed a lot of potential and, and he could have an opportunity to maybe play, I don't know, mess around at that nickel spot, maybe quarterback it might not be big, big enough for that nickel spot, but he could, I feel like vie for, for losing Alante with maybe Kamal Hayden or, Turnage, given how you, um, how Banks wants to do that, I guess. They want Turnage, like he needs to be good. And then, um, yeah, the Ohio State kid, we'll see what he does uh, in this scheme and if he plays at all this fall. But I don't know. Uh, We'll see. I think that is something to monitor, though, with Tennessee and the expectations uh, from national folks on Tennessee is just that, like, hey, if the wins don't come or there are some bumps in the road this year, I think it comes from the offensive line taking a step back from where they were a year ago. Um, and Hendon getting beat up a little bit more. Uh, that's a possibility. Um, not being able to run the ball the same way uh, is another possibility. We have a lot more uncertainty uh, in the running back spot. Talent, I think there's more talent and uh, there, but still some question marks. And then you look at the secondary. They're still getting cooked, and we're not getting a prep. Like, there's still not a lot of consistent pass rusher. We're, we're just relying so much on Byron Young and Tyler Barron, who are good players, but you you want a rotation. A lot of the top the top end sec schools just like at georgia like they just have guys like jermaine johnson couldn't find the field so he transferred to florida state and just pops off and becomes acc defense player of the year and all that so like i i wonder about that of just how much that limits uh or kind of lowers tennessee's ceiling in 2022 in year high year two of hypo's tenure here on rocket dot but i'm i'm excited to see it like i want to see if there is a drop off anywhere and i wonder that puts pressure like the the defense has to get better like that the offense is going to be elite it's going to be efficient like we've we've got that under control like that is something goalish and hypo that that ship is moving in the right direction we're good there but the next level if you want to be a 10-win team in the sec you want to really challenge georgia you want to really challenge the big boys consistently it's like the defense cannot be what it was last year and the talent on that side of the ball cannot be what it is right now uh herring is a good get like we'll see but you need a lot more Caleb Herrings. You need a lot more dudes on that side of the ball to uh, to kind of even out both sides of the ball. And I understand it will never be a complete one-to-one uh, scenario with Heupel's offense, but you've got to get more guys, and you've got to be more comfortable if you want that. So like when people are like, oh, Tennessee should be a 10-win team, I'm like, man, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what the secondary looks like. We'll see what the pass rush situation looks like. We'll see if we're better on third downs and getting off the field. We'll see if like, we'll, we'll see. Like, I, I think there's a sneaky amount of pressure on Tim Banks and company 
to have a really good year this year because I think if it's just all hypo and the, we're in these just 49, 42 games a lot, I don't know. I think there might be more tension there if the defense doesn't get better and uh, isn't making positive strides. But, hey, this is what happens when you make this jump and expectations rise because you're recruiting at this level and you're doing what you're doing. It's just that, like, expectations go up and the defense just has to be better. And it's a it's a fun challenge. And I think Tim Banks is a good coordinator and I, I like our staff, but uh, the the numbers have to flip a little bit and we have to get better in those areas. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's still a lot of way, long way for the defense to go mm-hmm. to be even, you know, comparable to what Georgia's offense has been. I mean, mm-hmm. let alone what Georgia's defense has been. And I think you made a good point about the pass rush because to me, when I look at the secondary, that's going to be a weakness. Like you mm-hmm. said, I don't, they're not going to magically find three guys to come in and make that a big strength. Now, I think there's a big, what's, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, a big range of what the weakness can be where it's not a debilitating or it's mm-hmm. like it is in the Purdue game where it is very, very debilitating to your ability to win. And I, to me, I think the bigger question is what do those guys at the pass rush spot do? Tyler Barron, Byron Young, I know you'd like to have more depth there. Roman Harrison is back. You have a couple guys. But to me, at the end of the day, it's about those two guys and their ability to get to the passer. Can those guys make a leap? To me, I would think so. Byron Young made massive strides over that course of last season. And he's a guy that's been one year in a college program. So mm-hmm. he would be ripe to make a big jump. And Tyler Barron's going from his sophomore to junior year. Another year, you typically see big jumps from from players. And, and to me, for Tennessee's defense, to because getting better on third down is a massive, massive part of it. To really make a big jump, I think it's about getting a lot more consistent pressure and not having the blitz if you're going to get home. Because for a lot of last year, that really was the case. I mean, Tyler Barron was good earlier in the early in the year, and then after that, it was kind of Byron Young is going to get there. If he's not going to get there, you better bring pressure, or no one's going to get home. And to me, we know with Tennessee secondary, that's not that's not a good recipe for success. Having to bring a lot of pressure. So uh, the the development of those two guys is something that I maybe have my the biggest, most keen eye on uh, entering the season. Yeah, we're at that point where it's like, I don't want the alerts on Jalen Robinson. I want the alert on the five-star corner. Like, give me the alert on that, the big transfer corner from Georgia or Bama who's unhappy. Like, that's when I'm like, oh, I'm perking up a little bit. That's when I'm like, okay, that, that puts us in a different kind of scope, and that makes me feel a lot better. Like, Eli Ricks, like, you get that guy in the portal or something uh a, a equivalent player next year that's when we're like okay we're making progress and this is a step in the right direction but like you said ryan it's not going to be flipped in one off season and that's just kind of going to be a weakness this fall like that is something that's going to be a weakness and you do what you can and you rely on the coaching to coach these guys up and get it to the point where it's not debilitating and it doesn't cost us games that matter and i don't know we'll we'll see we'll see um i will we'll end on this so tennessee is behind florida and the sec championship odds uh for vegas this week so matt green and i were talking about on the full ride this week and graham coffee of dog sports is also on we talked about it a little bit but tennessee same odds on FanDuel, i think as uh kentucky uh to win the sec uh florida's above them uh old miss is above them uh bam is the favorite to no surprise number two georgia number three a&m why does i it just speaks more to just how important game number four is this fall and just everything comes down to uh florida in knoxville at Nealon in week four like that's our whole season is if tennessee is going to have the like the the building block year that if you're not beating florida at home this year 
and with this rebuilding situation and you see the number where it's like oh they're why do they have better odds what does vegas know what do the betters know about florida this fall that we're not aware of because that's a scary thing if the the I'm already getting nervous or getting anxiety thinking about being in the being in the stands uh, on on that Saturday night. Like it's just going to be so tense and so uncomfortable uh, throughout that whole game that I just it's so important. We cannot emphasize this enough of just how important Florida Tennessee is this fall um, because it's just such a deflator if they can't get it done this year. And Richardson's just a star, and maybe that's what it is. They're just betting on Richardson being. Uh, what a lot of folks think Rattler and company might be and Jackson Dart is like, well, what it, it might just be the guy who's been in the program and uh, has aged into the program and just as the physical tools to be a star right away uh, with a competent uh, staff and everything else. So I don't know. I it scares me. But Ethan, what do you what do you make of Florida having better odds when the SEC than uh, the Tennessee Vols as it stands right now? I think it's certainly interesting. I'd, I'd say there are three games Tennessee really, really needs to be thinking about this year. Mm. It's Florida number one, like you said. I mean, for all the reasons you said, I won't even, I won't even repeat it because you hit, hit the nail on the head. I'd say Florida number one, and then you got to do what you couldn't do last year. Really, you got to beat Pitt. Even mm. with, without, without Kenny Pickett, you got to go in there and beat Pitt. Um, you got to also like you couldn't do last year. You got to beat Florida. Then mm. I'd say LSU's the wild card, kind of like Ole Miss was this year. Um, you just don't really know, but it'd be nice to get. It'd, it'd be a stepping a step in the right direction, I'd say. And I guess if I had to put a final note on Florida, that's what I'd say. It's it's a step in the right direction. You got to beat a first year head coach. Like I, I don't I don't care if if they've got Richardson. I don't really care what's going on. You you got to go in there and beat beat Florida. And in I guess in the state of their program right now, if if you can't do it now, it's going to be a while before that happens. You know, with the team, the offense that Eiffel's got going. We we talk about the struggles on defense, but you got to be able to go in there for it. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, it's a story we've talked about 10 times in the last 10 years. I mean, that Florida game is massive and outside probably a handful of years in that stretch, Florida has been very much in the realm where Tennessee can beat them from a talent perspective and the games have oftentimes been very competitive and it's hard to have a whole lot of confidence in Tennessee to go out and win it when you just don't see them do it often. But you're right. I mean, it would be a debilitating loss. I mean, it's interesting to say the whole the phrase the honeymoon's over and that was kind of mm-hmm. the first thing that I thought about. Well, Heibel really never had the honeymoon because of how True. dejected everybody was. But since Hinton Hooker got in there since the Missouri game last year, the vibes have been very, very good for Josh Heifel. And not many people outside of I guess Vols picks on Twitter have done a whole <laughs> lot of complaining about him. If Tennessee loses to Florida, the complaints the complaints will be coming and if Tennessee beats Florida, Josh Heifel could be elected governor the next day. So it's really as simple as that. It's a massive, massive game. I feel like I'm I've been higher on Florida than most have. I'm a big Anthony Richardson guy. I've watched Tennessee try to defend running quarterbacks last year. It didn't give me a whole lot of reason for me to had to mute him for a second, Ethan. He was going to oh, Anthony fair. Richardson here. That's fair. I, that's fair. <laughs> Let me tell you, if Matt Corral is running for 160 on Tennessee's defense, the playmaking ability of Anthony Richardson gives me a reason to, to have concern for Tennessee mm-hmm. against him. But, no, I mean, I think it's it's going to be a competitive game. And like we've all said, it's a very, very important game for Tennessee's season and for Tennessee's program because it's the first year of Billy Napier, because it's at home, because you don't get him in Neyland in two more years, and because Georgia and Alabama are so, so good. And those are Tennessee's two other biggest rivals, and that's who the fans really want to beat. And that's not a realistic ask for Josh Heupel right now. Beating Florida is a realistic ask. He, he needs to do it because it's the only one. Yeah. Um, 
it, oof, it's just, it's, I'm excited. Uh, this season cannot come soon enough. Are we sure that Tennessee didn't get involved in the NIL just to put Addison out of there? Like it wasn't actually a, they, we don't want you in on Rocky top, but we'll just funnel you somewhere else. We'll, we'll throw, we'll throw our money into the hat to get you out of there for the, for the pick game. Like we just, we, we don't want you there because we got to win that one. Um, I don't know. Like, would you give up, would you sacrifice Pitt to beat Florida? Do you think most yeah. Tennessee fans would? Absolutely. Is it, yes. Yeah. Okay. It, find me the Tennessee fan that wouldn't would be my yeah. would be my question. Okay. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Balls picks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ethan, you have nothing to promote because you don't work anywhere anymore. You're just a you're a free agent. <laughs> we got big things coming. I'll, I'll say that much. We got we got things coming in in the pipeline. I guess. There you go. Uh, Ryan, uh, you're still uh, gamefully employed and also graduating, so I appreciate you uh, pushing till the end, unlike a certain other co-host on this podcast. But uh, Ryan, uh, what about you? What do you got going on at Rocky Top this week? Yeah, plenty of baseball stuff from this weekend, looking at the pitching stuff and a couple different pieces on that. And then a ton of stuff on the site uh, between me and Rick Butler on Julian Phillips and what sort of impact that will have for the Vols next fall and winter. There you go. There you go. Ryan, Ethan, thank you as always. And uh, I will talk to you both next week. All right, we're back here on the Chase and podcast where I am now joined by a first timer. He is an expert in all things giant hawks. People would not think so, but yes, that was a thing in the early 80s with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Some of the best uniforms in college football, one of my favorite logos, um, and a program that I think is in an interesting spot. It's Tom Kakert. Tom, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Great. Uh, thanks for having me on and uh, able to talk a little bit about Iowa football. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know you don't get to do it enough. I know you yeah. don't get to do it enough, Tom. So, um, and I think a lot of my Knoxville and Atlanta folks, it's it's kind of wild. I um, originally from Atlanta, and I just even the neighbor I, across the street from my parents' house, Iowa stuff in their house, and uh, I saw a weird amount of Iowa stuff in Atlanta. Not as much in Knoxville, I've noticed, but um, Iowa, they're all over the place. So I think uh, there's going to be some crossover here with some Iowa folks who are like, "Oh, awesome Iowa coverage." Um, but I want to start with the spring game. So sure. what uh, what what did you take away? Was there anything that you could really pull? I know it depends on who you talk to about like what you can really glean from spring game. And everyone's spring games are under different circumstances where like Tennessee didn't have any corners. So it's like, what can you really what can yeah. you really gauge from it? Um, what did uh, what did you gauge from the Iowa spring game this year? Iowa was kind of in the same boat. It was mm. a lot of guys were out or they were trying to keep them safe. Uh, you know, not risk them in that final practice. So mm-hmm. um, it was the shortest spring game that we've ever seen. Hmm. It was really short. It was like an hour and a half between the practice and the, the scrimmage part. So usually it's about two hours, 2.15, something like that. So it was really short. Um, not a lot to glean. Mm. Uh, everybody's talking about the quarterbacks because that's what we do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um because there is kind of a quarterback race, if you will, but uh, and the guy who's the incumbent, uh, Spencer mm. Petrus, um, didn't look great out of the gate. But the two guys behind him, uh, Alex Padilla, who played some last year, and Joe Labus, who was a redshirt last year, redshirt freshman, um, both those guys looked really good early. And then about midway, Petrus looks good. 
and the other two guys paid back a little bit. So it's kind of, I've walked away going, yeah, we're about where we started. So I'll just, uh, the thing I always come back to is I expect that Petrus is going to start. And then if things go poorly, maybe the, maybe the uh, rope's a little tighter um, this time around. What, what do fans want? Do when you're on the rivals boards and you're reading what fans are, are uh, clamoring for, is it, is it Padilla? Is it Petrus? Is it like, bring back Deuce Hogan? Um, Is it Labas? Like, who is it? Who is the guy? Yeah, it, it's interesting because they've kind of gotten out on Petrus. I mean, that first year coming out, the pandemic year was his first year as a starter. Mm-hmm. It was just a tough situation. He had spent a lot of time in quarantine, just uh, never getting COVID, but just being exposed or being in con- close contacts kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he just, the continuity just never got there with the pass game. They got better kind of towards the end of the year, but it was still up and down. Mm -hmm. And last year it was up and down. We got to see Padilla last year. He actually started a couple games, came in in relief uh, at Northwestern when uh, Petrus was hurt and Mm -hmm. clearly couldn't go. Uh, After one series, it was real clear that he just, they're not going to be able to play him. So Mm -hmm. Padilla came in, but, you know, overall his stats were not any better than Petrus. He had two interceptions two touchdowns completed 49 percent of his passes um they weren't great so they went back to in fact the second half of the nebraska game they went back to petrus mm. and he rallied them to a win at nebraska so and he started the big 10 championship game which was a disaster for iowa and then mm-hmm. um started the bowl game so um i think every, it, usually they clamor for the backup Mm-hmm. everybody's kind of like, yeah, Padilla's probably ahead of Petrus, but we're not really, Labus is like the flavor of the month right now. He just is. Is there something different about him? Does he bring something different to the table? He's a redshirt freshman. Like what, what, ex- is it just because of the youth and just the unknown with him? He's just the unknown quantity. Is that all it is? Yeah. And he got some buzz last year, mm-hmm. uh, scout team. So he wasn't even running the Iowa offense, but he was doing scout team and he, yeah kind of a little edge to him kind of a little bit of toughness and moxie and um i had gone to see him actually uh as a high school player mm. during the pandemic year um just drove out to ohio because didn't have anything else to do really so yeah. i went to see him play high school game and he's got some toughness to him he's got a little edge to him um mm. uh, not a cannon for an arm but a good arm solid arm he's got a um he's a good baseball player so um, he's got he's got some uh, some some whip to it, but he, you know, he's just a fresh face. And Kirk Ferentz has kind of poo pooed him and a little bit, just saying, you know, let's. He hasn't even run our offense really yet. Let's, mm-hmm. let's uh, slow the roll. And um, the one thing I've found out um, just during the the off season is that they they've kind of simplified the offense a little bit. Um, hmm. There was a, a comment that Alex Padilla made and. Leading up to the bowl game, about how it took like a year and a half to master the Iowa offense. Now you would think, boy, that's weird because that's not. It doesn't seem like a very, uh, you know, sophisticated offense. Mm-hmm. But what they do is they ask the quarterbacks to do a lot of different things, reading the defense and adjusting at the line, more than other college programs would. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of what they're doing 
but I think they've simplified some of the pass game stuff. Um, they've brought in an analyst uh, mm. for the quarterback position. The quarterback coach, Ken O'Keefe, retired. So Brian Ferentz, who's an offensive line coach by trade, offensive coordinator now, um, he's now the quarterback's coach. He had never played the position, let alone coached it. Mm. So they've brought in a guy named John Budmeyer, who uh, was at Wisconsin and um, worked under Paul Christ. Then last year went to Colorado State, was the OC under Steve Adazio and also the quarterback coach there. Now Adazio and those guys got, got bounced after the year. Mm. So Budmeyer just didn't have a gig, so they were pretty fortunate and get him in as an analyst. So I think he's doing some work, just kind of trying to simplify the offense, simplify some of the things that the quarterbacks are doing. And um, based on what the quarterbacks have said, it seems like it's been a help to them. That's interesting. And I mean, there was a lot of talk. I mean, one of the frustrating things I, I imagine for Iowa fans is just that like, you had this all-time great defense, and the takeaways was just unreal. It was just an unreal run where the defense was doing everything possible to keep this Iowa team moving in the right direction. And you get all the way up into the top five in the country, and you're like, oh, this is now a possibility. Ohio State's down a little bit. They haven't figured out their defense. Like The Big Ten's more open than it's been in a long time. Wisconsin's still dealing with the Graham Mertz uh, saga there. Yeah and they finally don't have a running back they can rely on for most of the year. Like, it's open for us. Mm -hmm. Like, it felt early on last year. It's amazing, like, hindsight being twenty twenty. But, like, it's just – you have to go back and read the pieces. You have to go back and watch and how we talked about Iowa in September and August and even October and then where we came to at the end and people remember the Michigan game and what happened there. But it was just – I'm so curious if you're an Iowa fan because you're like, man, if – we just have an average offense last year. We're not in the 99 percentile of just uh, all-time bad struggles with this kind of defense. Why couldn't we be a, a smaller version of what Georgia did with uh, Stetson and company? Because the defenses were pretty similar. Like Iowa, the takeaways, what they were doing, and just how dominant that defense was. You're like, man, that kind of feels like a waste wasted opportunity because you don't know when the big 10 will be that open again and when you'll have that kind of special defensive season i mean i was defense you you bet on it a lot but man i i don't know like was that something you were thinking about we were like they're gonna be kicking themselves this offseason where it's like that defense and that takeaway stuff was just unbelievable and our offense should not have been that bad like it just the disparity between the offense and defense cannot happen again it's been a great run for the Iowa defense for mm-hmm. several years, really, where they've had this level of play where they're getting, you know, 20, 30 takeaways, 20, 30 sacks. Um, you know, they had a great run with guys like AJ Epinesa and Anthony mm-hmm. Nelson and Davion Nixon was the you know defensive player of the year in the big 10 a couple of years ago, the pandemic year. And um, they've just continued to churn out. Phil Parker, just, he's got it figured out. The mm-hmm. only the only school that's really figured them out on a consistent basis uh, defensively has been uh, Purdue. Jeff Brown's hmm. got his number, uh, and I don't know what it is, but um, but they've been. Uh, I do a podcast during the uh, during the football season with uh, with Chuck Long, who's hmm. Iowa quarterback, runner up to the Heisman Trophy in '85 season to Bo Jackson. Hmm. And Chuck 
and Chuck coached at Oklahoma. Chuck was head coach at San Diego State. He knows the game, and he's of the opinion that Iowa has probably missed out on at least two other um, Western Division championships because the offense has just been not good enough. Mm-hmm. And um, last year it was kind of a perfect storm that got them into that Big Ten championship game because they they had their kind of in control and then they just didn't play well in a couple games and gave some things back but uh, ended up getting in there. So um, thanks to the the Gophers beating uh, Wisconsin. Do you think it's because it, it's interesting that you brought up the the Brian Ferentz offensive verbiage and what they ask of these quarterbacks um do you think part of that is to blame for the issues the last couple of years is that they do it the scheme is so complicated and that it's so thought out and they ask so much of the quarterbacks that like there's not enough there's not enough juice it's not free-flowing enough it's not uh it's not just there it's just so interesting like I, I highly encourage folks to watch an iowa game and then watch uh Heupel's offense right after and just uh, <laughs> see the disparity between the two and it's not like it's wrong and I, I would just love to know what brian and kirk are thinking like what uh what their strategy is there or like why they don't adjust because it seems like it is a level of stubbornness a little bit right where they're like this is the way that they and you and part of it for me, I wonder, is like, we don't want to sacrifice the defense to uh-huh. flip up a lot, right? Like, that feels like a big part of it. Yeah, that is part of it. It's uh, one hand washing the other kind of mm-hmm. thing and trying to trying to do things. It's the, the defense is not going to, is going to, they'll give you the opportunity to maybe march down the field a little bit, but they're mm-hmm. going to play bend but don't break kind of defense. And they're going to force you into mistakes because they're not going to make the mistakes. They're going to play... Yeah. Uh, you know, quarter, quarter, half coverage a lot in the secondary and guys are just very disciplined. They, they um, do what they're supposed to do and they're sure tacklers. So they just, that Phil has, Phil Parker has a, a thing that, that he shared with us a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's basically if they give up two or fewer uh, explosive plays, like 25 mm-hmm. or more in a game, the opposing team is going to score 14 points or less. Hmm. Um, on on that defense. Now they may, you know, have a pick six or something, you know, get a f- funny money kind of mm-hmm. touchdowns. But if they give up more than two, they're going to probably give up 28 points. Hmm. So it's it's about limiting those big plays. And on offense, Kirk's philosophy is always going to be, want to be balanced, want to run the football. Um, that's just kind of how he's always going to be. It was funny because a couple of years ago with Tyler Goodson, mm. uh, they started running the Wildcat for a little yeah. And he used to joke about, we used to, uh, he used to like snicker when somebody bring up the the Wildcat. Be, mm. Yeah, we'll, maybe we'll go out and run the Wildcat. <laughs> <laughs> you mm. know? And then he did it. And um, But then it disappeared by the end of the year um, or the next year. It just kind of went away. Uh, but for Iowa, Iowa's unique because I think everything really starts up front on both mm-hmm. sides of the ball. Um, it's not as much about a quarterback. or In fact, Brian Ferentz this spring called the quarterback position a facilitator, <laughs> which raised some eyebrows. Yeah. Because I'm guessing that like Josh Heupel will not look at his quarterback as a facilitator. No. He's going to look at him as a playmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's... 
just kind of where Iowa's philosophy is at. So, but it all starts up front with the offensive yeah. line. And it, the offensive line last year was, you know, even though they had Tyler Linderbaum, who has a first round draft pick of the Ravens, mm-hmm. Remington Award winner, the offensive line wasn't great last year. They gave up 32 sacks last hmm. year. Um, they only averaged uh, 3.4 yards per carry last year. Uh, they just they had a lot of negative yardage plays. And mm-hmm. if Iowa is starting um, starting to drive second and nine, mm-hmm. that's like them playing left handed. It's just not that's not the world they they can live in. It, they're they need to start second and five. Mm-hmm. So that's that was part of it. Now the defensive line, which was a lot of new faces, but they really played well, and I think they're going to be good again next year, uh, this coming year. And they've got you know Riley Moss back on defense at corner. They've got mm-hmm. uh, Jack Campbell, who I think is one of the best linebackers in the country at middle linebacker. So they've got some they got some dudes on defense, but um, it's going to come down to the offensive line in my opinion, and if they get some decent quarterback play. If they do that, uh, they'll win nine, ten games. If they don't, it might be seven. And you're bringing in, there's a five-star at Iowa, right? There's a five-star. Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty much locked in, right? He's an Iowa kid. I think the other, it was a, I think it was Bama was the only other serious competitor for him. Um, he, he came in uh, early, too. He enrolled early. Okay. This year they had um, – there's another kid that they brought in early, mm. T.J. Hall, who's a cornerback, that I think has got a chance to play this year too. They mm. think he's as good a um, corner as they've had as a true freshman. They kind of mentioned at the same level as Desmond King, who won the Thorpe Award. So, yeah. um, so that's some pretty um, heady company there. So we'll see. Uh, Wampa is – you know they, they have this cash position. Huh. Which is kind of the hybrid, one of the linebacker positions, but they um, they just kind of use they've used a um, a safety in that position. So it's kind of like a star. Yeah, mm-hmm. called star or um, I don't know what the, the, all these guys use those different yeah. technology for. It, but I they like just, Cash though. Cash is pretty cool. Are cash mm-hmm. and he um, and the last two guys that have played that are are got drafted in the NFL. Monty Hooker, who's with the Titans. Yeah, and then. Um, and then uh, Dane Belton uh, got drafted this year by the Giants. Hmm. So um, there's a kid uh, that they probably are going to plug in there. Uh, Wampa might be in there, hmm. too, but there's a, another kid that's just – he's one of the best players that I've seen at the high school level, just hmm. unreal. Uh, Ken Cooper DeGene. Uh, he's a small-town 1A football kid in yeah. Iowa, and he just he's just one of those kids that ball finds him. So I, I think they're trying to find ways to get him on the field. They he played mainly special teams, but mm. um, he's a probably a safety by trade. But he was even playing corner last year a little bit late in the year when they were thin on numbers. Interesting. I wonder too for Iowa. There's some programs where I look at it where I'm like, okay, you kind of know who you are. The ethos is going to be the ethos. the The identity is entrenched, and mm-hmm. one of the things that you can do like if you're an Iowa fan you're like okay if we're going to be committed to this style of play and we're going to be committed to our quarterback being a facilitator or what it was that was that the word you used facilitator yeah yeah and not a playmaker okay well the transfer portal exists now 
Like you can develop and do everything you want to do, but if you're frustrated with the inconsistencies of a Spencer Petrus and you don't want to deal with a redshirt freshman under center that everybody wants, why not dip into the portal? Why not go after a an upperclassman that sure. can pop and someone who has been just I, I, kind of what Nebraska did? They go after it. Casey Thompson. K State brings in Adrian Martinez. Like. Why has Iowa not been more active in the quarterback uh, transfer portal market? Yeah, they, um, simple answer is they feel like if they go in and get a quarterback that two mm-hmm. are, that, that then that's going to cost them two more. Huh. And so, and they don't know that the, the person that they're going to get is better than what they have. So they- they're just like, Bird in the hand kind of thing. Yeah. But you try it once. You see what happens. Like, you, I think you had to dip out on that ledge at some point. Everybody, like, that's one of those, everybody's doing it, man. And I understand that, too, though. I mean, Tennessee's dealing with that a little. Uh-huh. I'll say Iowa has not had a lot of turnover in the port. I mean, I think yeah. the number two least number of kids that have left them to the portal. I think they only had five guys leave, and that's, like, abnormally low for mm-hmm. these guys. Why so, do you think that is? Um, I think part of it is the culture. Mm. Uh, and I think part of it is also, I think some of the kids are probably smart enough to realize that maybe the grass is not going to be as green mm. because some guys that have left haven't, you know, they'll end up uh, like, for example, one of the wide receivers that left last year, um, he ended up at Northern Iowa mm. you know, going down a level. So, yeah. You know, unless you've got something to me, that's the big thing with the portal is these kids just make bad decisions. Because if you don't know going into the portal that there's going to be three or four schools that are at that same level or higher, they're going to be there for you. I don't know if I, you risk it. Why risk it? So it requires some tampering. Only enter the portal with some some well-vetted tampering. <laughs> that's the only way to get in there. It is. Yeah. Uh, and some of these, uh, and but yeah, well vetted would be the the right word for it too. Because mm-hmm. some of these guys just they they get people telling them the wrong thing. They get bad advice. People, it's unbelievable it, to me. It it requires so much nuance, and just when you hear a lot of national talking heads or folks talk about it, or people, there is so much more going on behind the scenes, and there's it's so much more complicated than the way that people want to discuss it, but. If you're if you push back against anything in the portal or anything like that, it's like, oh, you can't be anti-player, anti-player. And it's like, well, no, there's <laughs> there's some real issues and there's some real stuff that's happening behind the scenes. And there's a lot of kids being pushed in the wrong direction and being lied to by adults. And I think it was Aaron Taylor who had a good rant actually about this of like good video. Yeah. Like we need like there needs to be some accountability. Like we have to protect these kids in a different kind of way where it's like they're getting led astray by different people and they're getting a lot of folks in their ear. And, you know, you know what they need is, mm-hmm. you know, when guys uh, put their name in before they put their name in for the draft, they can get advice mm-hmm. on they can get feedback. It's almost be worthwhile for, for the portal for the NCAA to set up a feedback thing where a kid can get feedback and say, yeah, you're probably not going to get any other D1 offers. Yeah. If you want a high D1 or power five school offers, but um, you may, you may get want to go play somewhere, but you may have to go play at South Dakota state or yeah. go to state or Northern Iowa. And those are great programs. 
they're just not going to be on TV every Saturday. I struggle with it because if I was in their shoes, like I understand where it's like you, you're putting a lot of faith in these coaches. They're like, Hey, if you stay and you keep working, like you'll get there and you're like, well, I only get one shot at this man. And for some of these kids, it's like, I get one shot at uh, changing my life and my family's life forever. And it's just, it's a lot of trust and it's a, it's a lot of difficult decisions that each of these kids have to make and uh, think about. And they just put it, put a lot of trust into folks. They don't really know that well, which is also pretty scary. And it's a financial decision now, yeah. too, um, with with uh, lots of kids. Mm-hmm. It's a financial decision that they're making as much as, as it is a football decision because they're going to be offered financial rewards like Jordan Addison is or mm-hmm. you know, guys like that that are going to make a lot of money as a college football player and more power to them. I mean, you know, nobody's standing in the way of that, but. Um, you cannot stand in the way of it and also recognize that it's bad for the sport, right? There's sure. like this weird thing where people are like, oh, well, it's just, it's finally fair. I was listening to two folks that I really respect in uh, college sports media, and I just disagreed where it's like there's a misunderstanding, I think, nationally. And I think uh, you being on the ground in Iowa and just interacting with so many fans and seeing what fans are like kind of me being in Knoxville and uh, and just being here and being a grad student and just being around Tennessee a bunch is that there's a complete misunderstanding of what fans want and what they're worried about and uh, their long-term concerns for college football and things like that, where I think um, something you miss is like, it, can you imagine if Larry Fitzgerald leaves Pittsburgh after his freshman year and just transfers to Alabama or Clemson or whatever and finishes it, his career out there? You can say, yeah, it was probably more financially lucrative for him to make that move while he was in college, but it worked out for him. But like the whole reason that we watch college football is like those kind of stories are cool. Like mid the West Virginia Pat White teams are cool. The uh, the surprise marshals with Byron Leftwich and Chad Pennington and Moss. And like when you see programs where talent is scattered all across the country and you find these diamonds in the rough or like these awesome stories that make you want to watch Pitt or keep up with Pitt or keep up with Iowa because it's like, oh, Drew Tate is a wild man. I got to watch Drew Tate. <laughs> um, like that is something that's really cool and you want to do that. But if they become feeder schools for the big dogs because they can't financially compete the same way then you have a major problem. Like you can say, yeah, this is better for Jordan Addison, but you can also say this is bad for the sport. Like this is bad for viewership and fans don't want this. And those are the people who are ultimately paying to go to these games. So you have to consider both, both here. You had like, it can be good for players and that's fine. And we're pro player, but you can also be, uh, be honest about the ramifications that it has for the folks that love college football to begin with. Right. I'll, I'll tell you the the because um, I brought this up on our message boards um, recently about mm. just kind of taking the temperature of the room with Iowa fans and how many of them would contribute to a collective because mm. I was trying to get one going. You know, I know Tennessee's got this fire sports thing. Oh yeah, we're we're moving. They're dishing out money left and right. I mean, mm-hmm. they're getting millions of dollars. Hold on, allegedly, Tom. Allegedly, Tom. Allegedly, mm-hmm. allegedly millions of dollars to. Mm. Allegedly, mm-hmm. and, but they're they're doing things. Um, mm-hmm. Tyler Casper was one of the kids that they were after. I know mm-hmm. for a long time. Kevin, his dad played at Iowa, so mm-hmm. um, you know. I anyway, Iowa Iowa fans are just not they're not comfortable in that world. Mm-hmm. This whole we're paying players now is just 
kind of like, yeah, this isn't the pool we've grown up in. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it's not in the DNA of Iowa athletics. So, and it never has been. So it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge for Iowa fans. Cause I know I've talked to a couple of big boosters at Iowa and they're of that opinion. They're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to really get involved with it. Huh? Because they're just like, I just don't feel comfortable. I, I love supporting Iowa athletics and found the foundation and trying to build better facilities. But you know, the arms race for facilities is over, right? Mm-hmm. It's done. I mean, that's old news now. Um, the arms race now is going to be who can offer the most money to players. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to be. That's the arms race. And you're either going to be involved in it or you're going to fall back. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think some places the infrastructure was there and mm-hmm. hit, hit the ground running. And then other places it's not. And there's scuffling. I mean, I was scuffling to get this thing going. Now they'll get it going, but it's just not going to, you know, it might be happen a couple, overnight. It, it might be just a couple million dollars. Yeah. Thing. Whereas, but I think that's always been kind of the case with college football though, right? Like pay, yeah. players have been getting paid. Like the, the buckets of cash. I think it's just uh, the what, difference when I've talked to folks who've been in the know for a long time. It's been like, oh, instead of 50K under the table, it's now 8 million. Like it's just a totally different amount of money and a totally different crazy amount of money for uh, top recruits now. And that's why Nick Saban was mad about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. He's mad because they were probably doing things differently. Mm-hmm able to do operate in that world and now everybody can operate in that world mm-hmm. and openly and i think it's partly that but i also think saban knows that he's gonna like <laughs> it's one of those where he's like all right you want to do the portal guess what eli ricks and jameer gibbs are on the way uh you just yeah. want a title with this guy guess what i'm bringing burton in uh right after the they don't, t- they'll yeah. say he didn't he didn't there's no tampering ever yeah but i mean <laughs> it's just he, I, I think Saban speaks in a way that's every everything that he says is very pointed and calculated, and um, I don't know. He's just too smart, and it's just one of those where I, I like Saban a lot, but it's, uh, it is what it is. He's telling you like this is what's going to happen if you want to go down this road. I'll go down this road with you, but you don't want Alabama athletics and uh, myself at the helm going down this road with you. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll end on this time. So. When you sure. look at the schedule for Iowa football uh, yeah. this fall, what uh, what what pops for you? What uh, what is there a stretch of games that you're like, all right, this will define Iowa's season? What is it for you when you look at it? Does it feel like a Big Ten uh, title or conference championship game appearance again or no? Could be. Mm. Could be. I, I think the key stretch is that October stretch around uh, the Ohio State game. Um, there's just mm. – Iowa hasn't gone to Ohio State uh, for, God, I think it's been eight years now. It's just weird schedule. Well, pods are coming, sir. ACC oh. throwing them out there in 2023, and I've heard Big Ten might even be before them. Yeah, Iowa. They're going to do a, do pods, so you know, mm. like Iowa will will probably, I think, almost assuredly have Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nebraska in their pod with them, mm-hmm. and then kind of play outside that with other games. Played. And Nebraska's become basically their rival, right? Is that real? Is this like the corn? Right? Can we get a corn like a? Some sort of corn statue or some... That's the Cyhawk game. That's the Iowa... Iowa no, but I want corn for corn huskers in Iowa. I need some oh. other corn-related uh, statue or something. Yeah, they, the Iowa-Iowa State one's always the, the corn one. Yeah. Uh, 
that uh, called the Corn Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, if you will. And then then uh, Minnesota's the pig. Um, yeah. With uh, and then Wisconsin's a bull. Mm-hmm. Um, the Heartland Trophy, but the Wisconsin the the Nebraska one's been this Heroes Trophy where they honor people uh, who've done good things, and that's great. But mm-hmm. it doesn't you know doesn't doesn't pop the way it no. should. Um, the only thing that's been cool is that it's really stuck with Black Friday, which huh. uh, I think has has been nice. I like I like having that Friday game. Mm-hmm. Because it's just it's it's sort of nice, especially when the, it's in Iowa City. So mm-hmm. I travel to Lincoln, and you just you know you're just home, and you, Saturday you can watch football all day. What's that, the what's the drive to Lincoln for you? Lincoln's probably about five hours. Okay, hours. So it's not terrible. Usually drive out to Omaha on Thanksgiving Day, and then just drive into Lincoln on Friday. There you go. So yeah, I, the bottom line, the schedule, it's you know just around that Ohio State game. There's some tough things. Michigan comes to Iowa City um, around that same time too. So it's just that stretch is going to be a challenge, I think, for for Iowa. If they can navigate that, um, and then they are, they're always going to finish. Seems like they load up with the divisional games at the in the last month. So it's like Illinois, Minnesota. Um, Wisconsin at the end. So, you know, it's all, I always think like Iowa, Wisconsin is kind of like the, whoever wins that one generally has control of things, but mm-hmm. I think that was going to be pretty good. Uh, I think Illinois is going to improve. Um, and Nebraska, I'll believe it when I see it. Okay. That's fair. They're three fun and- though. The cardiac Huskers, they're fun, man. Three and nine. The best three and nine team in college football history, sir. Yes, that's what uh, that's what we've been told. Mm-hmm. Tom, how do the good folks check out your work and everybody else uh, across Hawkeye Report? Yeah, go to HawkeyeReport.com or uh, uh, Iowa.Rivals.com. You can uh, hop on there. I'm at, uh, at Hawkeye Report on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, so you can check us out there uh, as well. Um, covering a lot of things. We're, you know, ramped up our baseball coverage. I know that's sort of an SEC sport, but we've got uh, a lot of good baseball coverage too for the Iowa baseball team who's on their way to another 30-win season, and hopefully they're going to squeak in the NCAA tournament. Okay. You don't want to date with uh, my Tennessee volunteers. No, your ten- that Tennessee offense is is just <laughs> – it's, it's like the 27 Yankees. It's it's a lot it's a lot of fun, man. I being in attendance and being here for this, it's. I think we're gonna go to Omaha, my dad and I. I think we're gonna we're gonna book it. Like I don't know if we'll ever see a Tennessee baseball team this good ever again. Like this is just like one of a time, like one of a kind, um, in a lot of ways. So I'm excited. We'll see what happens. We got to finish up with Georgia this weekend and then go to Miss, Mississippi State next weekend. So we'll see. Tom, thank you so much for making the time today. I greatly yeah. appreciate it, and uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Thanks for having me on, Chase. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Chase Must Podcast. Thank you again to Tom, Ryan, and Ethan for coming on today's edition of the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed all the Tennessee and Iowa coverage here at the Chase Must Podcast, and in particular this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and you have not already done so, make sure to go uh, hit that pause button and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
that is how you are listening to this very podcast and have not done so already. You can email the program at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com with any sports questions, show questions, you know, anything like that. Just chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, go visit uh, Sports Renaissance Man. Sports Renaissance Man. That's me. Sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Uh, all my writing over there. Uh, just type in your email and uh, never miss uh, any of my written content uh, by just joining up there. Sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Uh, watch us on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Every episode, uh, clips, all that good stuff on YouTube.com. Type in the Chase Most Podcast and you'll find us there. Um, follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. All right. Uh, might not have a new episode coming up tomorrow. Uh, sports reporters assemble might be off this week. Um, and then me saying Thomas also looks like it's going to be off this week. Um, heading into Monday. Uh, it's just, I got a lot of my plate with school and I'm still trying to wrap up here. So once I get a handle on that over the next couple of days, so I can wrap up and finish this semester strong then uh, we'll be in good shape but you know uh, i just gotta i gotta wrap that up first and then bounce back over here so a lot of fun stuff planned for the summer and all that good stuff but we uh we gotta keep grinding and i gotta wrap up here at tennessee so we'll we'll see how the rest of the weekend early part of next week goes but just keep that in mind if the schedule a little wonky uh because we've been coming out 3 a.m uh east coast time uh, every single day so uh, that might change just a bit uh, this weekend so we'll see uh, obviously you guys will be aware and uh, yeah all right well I gotta run and uh, Uncle Derek how'd I do nicely done nephew Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.